This is Health Unabashed on Healthcare Now Radio, a show unapologetically passionate about health and wellness innovation, enabling sustainability, equity, and access with the patient or member at the table. Hosted by digital health advocate, author, and global thought leader, Gil Bash, the show features thought-provoking people, ideas, and companies that are making a difference. I'm Greg Masters, executive producer and co-host, and join Gil as we engage top industry talent sharing their insights and best practices to create sustainable change. On today's show, our guest is strategist, innovator, and thought leader John Nasta, president of Nasta Lab. John is a leading, globally recognized innovation theorist and keynote speaker, unwilling to accept the status quo. He's a contrarian with a sharp focus on the future. A leading voice in the convergence of technology and health, John helps define, dissect, and deliberate global trends in digital health. He is consistently ranked among the top names in almost every digital health list and has sustained that position for several years. And with that brief introduction, Gil, over to you. Greg, thank you so much for the wonderful introduction. Uh, I cannot begin to express how much I appreciate your serving as co-host and executive producer for Health Unabashed. And I want to remind our listeners also to tune into your show, with uh, Fred Goldstein, uh, Pop Health Week, fantastic show. And also to remind people that uh, aside from your work with Healthcare Now Radio, you're an in the trenches public health expert, you know, working with communities. And I wanna salute you for all the um, efforts that you're doing. Um, a lot of people talk about population health or public health. Uh, you're a person who uh, not only enables us to talk about it, you're doing it. So thank you for that. What a thrill um, to have John Nasta back on the program. I often talk about having people back, but John is the first one who I was seriously hoping would say, sure, count me in. Um, If I were ever to be stranded on a desert island. You better stop right. You should stop right there. No, no, I'm going to finish the sentence. Okay. Probably probably John is the person who would help me keep my sanity and, and my brain intact. John is a truth speaker. He's an innovation theorist. He's a person who really pushes the envelope on on uh, our our thoughts. Uh, lately, he and I have been exchanging ideas on uh, ChatGPT AI, and I think that John is really one of the people who is not just pushing the envelope on uh, on ChatGPT. I think actually John is helping us to find the boundaries of how we can deploy the technology in our own lives and in health specifically. A lot of people have a lot of concerns about this. They're talking about intellectual property. They're talking about robots, machines replacing human beings. Um, I think that's all bunk, quite bluntly. I think that humanity will always be at the at the core of technology. John might disagree to that. John might say that technology is our better self. But, but yesterday, we exchanged some thoughts about chat gpt and i'm I'm hoping to kick john off on this um mm-hmm. where john said maybe maybe actually chat gpt is our sort of cognitive partner and i wanted to explore that with him particularly in the area of health um i also want to say that john is much more than an author he, obviously he he's written for forbes psychology today he's now a, a um, very 
popular author, author on medical life. Obviously, mm-hmm. you can catch him on Medium. He's a keynote speaker. Uh, he travels all around the world on the behalf of health companies, hospital systems, universities, stepping onto the main stage. I highly recommend um, you consider John for those opportunities because he's an A-plus speaker. Um, John is an A-plus speaker because he's a A-plus plus thinker. John, welcome to the program. Oh, thank you, Gil. It's always a pleasure. You know, we I never know where we're going to go, you know, with you and Greg. The, the thing, I wouldn't say spirals out of control, but it spirals in such interesting new directions. And that's where we are. We are at the center of the maelstrom if you will. We are at the center of something that that probably, and this is what I find most interesting, we didn't see it coming. We all thought that COVID was the inflection point. We all thought that uh, integrated care or some other dynamic, but who saw you know, these large language models and the early days of GPT-1 emerge to where it is today? So I think it caught everybody a little off guard. And, and that's part of that you know, as we talk about the duality of wonder and fear, we are in the throes of wonder. And boy, oh boy, fear follows uh, very, behind, very closely. Close behind, yeah, yeah. No, sometimes, you, it, you... sometimes it precedes it in a strange way, right? AI has already been given the mantle, a dystopian mantle of bad before it even arrives by Hollywood, which is where we get 99% of all our information anyway. Yeah. Sad, you know, sad tragedy there. I, I, I'm... Look, the, the reality is, I think that the system spends um, more time trying to figure out how to keep AI or ChatGPT out of the system, as opposed to figuring out how it integrates it effectively yeah. within the construct. And you were one of the first people, to the best of my knowledge, that mm-hmm. was writing about ChatGPT um, at the earlier iterations and and actually using it in a practical way. I just want to let people know if you're following sure. John on Medium or Twitter or LinkedIn and you're reading his content, he begins a lot of his longer form content with a with a chat GPT summary of his of his original piece. In other words, he's integrating the technology with his original creative thought quite right. comfortably. Um, John, I wanted to ask you, maybe it's probing a little bit in terms of mm-hmm. who you are. But but you're comfortable living side by side with technologies like that. Yeah. Most people are talking about good or bad, emphasis toward bad. You're talking about it is, how do I create harmony within my own life with it? What's your own philosophy around that? Because yeah. it's different from what I see. It's, well, certainly I'm an advocate for technology. And, and you know, if you look at, at my, my posts on, on Medica, or other places, I begin with what we in the science world, and you and Greg know this, I, I, I include an abstract of my work, just like every scientific paper. But I thought that the abstract itself shouldn't be written by me because I am full of biases. In other words, if I write an abstract of a thousand words, I'm probably going to focus it on, on my conscious or subconscious bias. So I have technology do it, and technology writes the summary. So, so I've been very, very comfortable using it. But I, I want to go back a little bit, Gil, because I think you know you are you know, a student of history, and and you know we are all doomed to repeat the mistakes for not knowing what has happened. And I want to talk about um, Norman Rockwell, and I want to go back to Vermeer also because that beautiful painting, the girl with the pure pearl earring. Well, everybody knows Norman Rockwell. They know that painting of of Thanksgiving, 
and all these beautiful, the, uh, the four freedoms. Norman Rockwell hired a photographer, took a picture of a carefully designed set, and then used a mechanical device called a Lucy to trace that painting. In other words, Norman Rockwell used technology of his day for the craft that he's famous for. You know, Vermeer, who did The Girl with the Ver uh, Pearl Earring, has been argued to use the camera obscura, a tracing mechanism. Now, you know what um, Norman Rockwell said? He said, the Lucy is a horrible device, and I'd be lost without it. And I think that's where we're going today a little bit. I think we need to be there because when I type an email to you, Gil, half of my email is prompted, and the other half of my typos are fixed. So I'm already technology you know, technologically augmented in the tasks, but there's so much more to GPT. We look at it as a writing tool when, when I think it's really a partner, a cognitive partner, because the most interesting thing about, about the GPT dynamic and other dynamics from Google that will emerge is that it's not a search, it's an iterative dialogue. In other words, I type a question, I get an answer, and then I ask another question about that. I ask GPT, what is the best oh, I don't know, what's the best recipe for guacamole? And it will give me a recipe. And then I'll say, well, what's the best res recipe in Mexico for guacamole? Or I'll say, well, now use that recipe, but don't include cilantro because I don't like its taste. And it will do that. So I have an iterative dialogue. Back in the old days, if we were academicians, we would call that a Socratic dialogue. So in many ways, GPT is moving forward, but it's building upon fundamental truths or realities that we use in the past. So yeah. absolutely, it's my partner. Yeah, well, you know, it, it's it's fascinating because obviously you're the driver. It's 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 driven off of your your curiosity, mm. your insight, and the aggregated intelligence uh, that you um, that is a, that is available. I I recently asked the system um, to write something. I gave it parameters. Write something um, with my, in my voice. You know, sort of yes, using, yes, using of course. Writings. And, you know, I found it fascinating. I found I needed to rewrite it extensively because, and, and this is the rub. It, it did reflect on the history of my ideas. It didn't reflect on where my ideas are right now. It, it doesn't have that capacity. Yeah. And what it does have the capacity for me to do is almost to summarize the history of my thinking up until this point but it doesn't know where I'm going tomorrow. It doesn't have the futuristic aspect. Right now, humanity has that. Um, I mean, will uh -huh. it get smarter and smarter? Well, Absolutely. I, I wanted to bring this into our, our sphere uh, a little bit, which is the sphere of health. And I I really do believe that, that GPT will enable physicians actually to spend less time keying in information about patient visits and and actually have that in the background and spend much more time actually being present with patients. And how do we make that shift from being threatened well, by the technology as as from actually realizing, wait a minute, it's it's not it's not dissimilar from my smartphone in a way. Here's what's gonna the happen. Technology I'll use. As soon as we make this shift, okay, and I'm not let's not even talk about the logistics of the shift itself. But as soon as we free up all that wonderful time for physicians to spend with their patients, they're going to hate it. 
Pay patients or hate GPT? The physicians, the physicians, because they don't want to spend 15 minutes with my Aunt Rose talking about her cookies. <laughs> as much as as much as physicians say that, physicians are very task oriented. They go into an exam room and they look for hot buttons. They they hear blah 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 chest pain, blah 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 sleepless nights, blah blah blah, etc. And they use these trigger words, and that that's the human condition. So I think that GPT chat will have a much richer engagement because it will be able to look at that from a way that is that is very, very non-biased. Now, I know there's a bias intrinsic to GPT now, but let's set that aside. That will be fixed. But, you know, just as I have GPT write my abstract, I think that it will be able to abstract a physical exam or patient history in a way that has a sense of clinical purity. So I always wonder when you when people say it'll give the doctor to have let the doctor have more time with the patient. I'm not exactly sh sure that she wants that. Yeah, I don't know. I think they want better outcomes. I'm not as I'm not as um, shall I say uh, skeptical of the physician's intent. But uh -huh. here's something that I think we can both agree on: um, zebra-like patients, patients who have a multitude of symptoms, mm -hmm, where mm -hmm. in our fragmented health ecosystem. The gastroenterologist sees the GI problem, and the neurologist sees the neurology problem, and the cardiologist sees you know, the heart problem. Nobody pieces together the, the elements of the total patient. And I'm wondering if the objective mind and voice of GPT will become the pathway for helping us accelerate diagnoses for people who have these unusual conditions, rare diseases, and that this is really... Um, now a souped up search engine that has some element of um, what I'll call human capacity to think and analyze data. And if you're just tuning in, you're listening to Health Unabashed on Healthcare Now Radio. Our guest is strategist, innovator, and thought leader, John Nasta, president of Nasta Lab. John is a leading and well-known innovation theorist and keynote speaker. I think that GPT is the only modality that has the cognitive acumen of all specialties combined. Think about the power of that, just that. Now, is it wrong? Sometimes, of course it is, but how many times are doctors wrong? You know, I think the, the benchmark of, of perfection is not the standard to which we hold clinicians to, and I don't think it should be, although it's, I think that it is a stretch goal for GTP as things expand. So yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head there. It is a, a, a multi-specialty um, discipline that allows for the first time a comprehensive, integrated, total look at the patient. How many? How long have we been crying for that? Greg, I'm sure we talked about that a hundred times. Remember integrated medicine back in the day? Well, isn't this interesting? Maybe this is the first step to a true integrated dynamic that will be that will be handed over to the clinician. What I say about GPT, it's a cognitive template for human curation, a cognitive template. So if I can come up with an exacting differential diagnosis and I can help the physician find maybe that zebra or, or maybe that clinical trial with a drug that might help this condition, it's it's very, very powerful. I, I just want to jump back to one thing, Gil, and you'll, you'll remember this, and so will you, Greg. I, I could have had a V8. 
Remember that? Remember that commercial? I could have mm-hmm. had a V8. That defines the human condition. It's been said that the answer is easy once I think of it. Yeah. And what GPT does is it gives us a selection upon which we curate as humans. And that's a, that's a very, very powerful tool. Yeah, I know. I think about this in terms of something that everybody in the health field can identify with, grand rounds. Once upon a time, a learned physician took their their residents around the floor of their specialty, GI mm-hmm. or cardiology or or whatever, and they stopped patient by patient. And they looked at the chart and the and the specialist, the expert, asked the residents questions. And it's sort of like a, uh, here's the data mm-hmm. test. And, and it was a very effective way, probably the most effective way to, to train people in real world medicine. The, the, the fact is that physicians only know what they know from experience for the most yeah. part. They, they learn in, intensely for years, then they go out, they do their internship, their residency, boom, they're out there. And who continues to nurture their professional education well, it's up to them. It's up to um, their experience, and and I just think that G- you know GPT may become the leveler for physicians who don't have access to an academic medical center, don't have access to clinical experts. Does it hold open the possibility of the quality of care being elevated among physicians who embrace it? and our early adopters of the technology as opposed to those that push it away without without a doubt but you know what what was you know let's let's think about the the chief of medicine standing over the patient's bed surrounded by almost like in a scrum surrounded by the hierarchy right surrounded by the attending the fellow the resident the intern what was one of the most provocative elements about that engagement you know what it was it was the questions asked. Yes. The chief of cardi- cardiologist said, what's the clinical significance of blah, 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 right? And that that question is has become the prompt. And the prompt is where the magic is with GPT, right? We've shifted from craft to cognition. As a painter, we've moved from the paintbrush to the cognitive prompt that through Dali 2 creates an image. And that that's being revisited, I think, too. So that engagement, that dialogue um, is good for two reasons real quick. And I know we'll we'll go on to a lot of other things. But one is it's the engagement in a Socratic dialogue to learn. Right. Tell me this. Tell me that. What about this? What about that? But it also fosters the inner dialogue or the inner monologue that I have with myself that is a fundamental trait of cognition itself. So I think that that GPT allows me to share time with my thoughts in a way that is private and personal. You know, it is very interesting. You've just uncovered something that I, I hope people sort of tune into. I, I think that um, the, the person who will really rise to the fore at, in this era is the curious, the person mm-hmm. who is curious, the person mm-hmm. who is able to ask questions, the person who's not necessarily in the know and is comfortable not being in the know the person who is um has great pattern recognition skills because i think these people who are linear or linear thinkers i think this technology actually um will uh, will sort of seek out and find their achilles heel Mm -hmm. people who are expansive inquisitive um actually have 
pattern recognition skills will ask a question or questions that will allow them to maximize the technology. But my question for you is, mm -hmm. you know, a lot of people are listening. Sometimes we use the term GPT. Sometimes we say chat GPT. Talk a little bit about the marriage between chat and GPT and GPT. Sure. I want to just, just go back very quickly to that, to the idea of the prompt, because it's the question. It's, it's the nature of both curation and curiousness. And this is nothing new. Voltaire, the philosopher, said, judge the man by his questions, not by his answers. Mm -hmm. And there you have that just unfold in a way that is just so rich and important. So, yes, I think that what we put in and, and go back to a more contemporary expression, garbage in, garbage out. So that that's so important. Now, with respect to GPT, GPT comes out of OpenAI. OpenAI um, is a company that started as a, a not-for-profit, founded in part by Elon Musk and a few of the Silicon Valley dignitaries. They they built a model, GPT-1, GPT-2, GPT-3. GPT-3 and GPT-4, which is available now, is an analytics engine that chat GPT sits on. So when we use chat GPT, we're actually using the model, the engine of chat GPT um, is GPT-3 or GPT-4, if you're lucky enough to have access GPT to it. GPT-4, you know, it's it's fascinating. Yeah. What what do you think will be, what, what do you think's the next? I mean, this is moving so quickly from the moment we sort of tuned into open AI, which made it all yeah. available to us. And now... GPT three, okay, that was great, and then blink, and and, and there's here's here's an example of we didn't number one we didn't see it coming, number two agree number two exponential change speed of change, and the the there's been different different articulations of um, the size of of this LLM large language model. But I've heard it expressed as being 500 times greater, GPT-4, than 3. So I think we're just wallowing in 4, just kind of figuring out what's out there. And um, 5 and 6, um, I just can't even think about it right now. It's 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 it's, it's astronomical. Just think about you know, 3, okay? 3 is 25% of the Library of Congress. That's that's what's That's the language model that's baked into this. That's a lot of stuff. Now, yeah, sometimes is it put together in a funny way? Sure, but you know, so were the early days of the airplane, the early days of the bicycle, the early days of anything. We're in the early days of this dynamic. So to focus on, on, on where it is now is wrong. What we need to focus on is the trajectory. Now, and the trajectory people, promises us with a powerful future. Yeah, a lot of people say this is the end of creative writing. This is the end of art. And mm -hmm. we, we have faced that, you know, again and again and again. And I just wanted to get your quick read on that. You know, I mean, very simply put, when the camera was introduced, when the commercial camera was introduced, where everyday, you know, everyday folks can take pictures, it didn't destroy portraiture. It didn't destroy painting. It expanded the domain. So I think that the the creative opportunities in this context will evolve and change. You know, people still like to listen to vinyl, and and people still like to paint paintings. You know, they're they're very fundamental things that are harken back to our our humanity. So I don't think this is destructive at all. It's destructive in the way maybe the blacksmith 
was replaced by more more modern modalities. But what it does, it expands and includes as opposed to squashes. So we've we've just got a few moments left, and I mm -hmm. wanted to get your your read. First of all, th this is a conversation for the ages because we're yeah. we're now talking about putting technology in the hands of of most people in in the developed world. And, and Gil, there you hit there you hit the nail on the head. You know, we talked about exponential change and inflection points and all that nonsense. But the interesting thing about this is that this is technologically sophisticated in, in ways that are un unimaginable, but accessible to you and me. Genomic editing is abstract to me. I, CRISPR, I don't know what CRISPR is, right? But this is something that is at our fingertips. So that's part of the magic, accessibility and technological sophistication coming together for really the first time in many ways. Yeah, I... I'm going to ask you, you know, you're, you're a theorist and you're mm -hmm. bold in predictions. So I, I wanted to ask you a really key question mm -hmm. in terms of chat GPT and drug development. Where, where do you think this is going to sort of combine with all these other technologies like CRISPR, like CAR-T, chat GPT? What do we have to look forward to? There was a, a an article published, and I don't know if it was real science or just or just puffery, but it talked about developing an, an oncology drug, um, an alpha fold mechanism in one hour, and it predicted the clinical outcome. So there you have it. I think that's that's what is going to happen. The cognitive domain is being expanded in extraordinary ways. And this is the way I look at it. I, this is maybe an oversimplification, but what the bicycle did, it gave us a mechanical advantage. It allowed us to go faster by using a simple mechanical advantage, a wheel and a chain and spokes and stuff. What GPT is and what these advanced iterations of AR is it's, it's a cognitive advantage. It ratchets up our brain and lets us think faster and I think that is going to be a, a dramatic, dramatic transformation. And remember, as I've said many, many times, the duality of wonder and fear will always accompany innovation. It started with our first innovation fire, our first technology, and the airplane and the driverless car. But now, the bigger the innovation, the bigger the fear. And we are at a point in human history where I don't think we've ever had such a profound and large innovation as AI and GPT chat. You just heard it from one of the world's experts, innovation theorist, writer, speaker, John Nasta. Uh, I would highly recommend to all of our listeners, follow him on LinkedIn and Twitter, follow his Medium column, read his words on medical life. He's just written a fantastic piece on um, on cognition as a and GPT as, as partners. Uh, fantastic piece, John. Again and again, I cannot thank yeah. you enough. You're always welcome to the program. Thank you. My pleasure. Couldn't find a better venue to discuss it, Gil. Thank you. Thank, thank you very you. much. And you too. Great. And that's a wrap for today's broadcast. We want to thank our listeners for tuning in and our special guest, strategist, innovator, and thought leader, John Nasta, president of Nasta Lab. You follow John's work on Twitter via at John Nasta and on the web via www.nastalab.com. You can learn more about Health Unabashed on the program page at healthcanalradio.com. We air weekdays at 10.30 a.m., 6.30 p.m., and 2.30 a.m. Eastern or 7.30 a.m., 3.30 p.m., and 11.30 p.m. Pacific. Do keep the conversation going with Gil and me on Twitter. 
connecting with us via at Gil underscore Bash, and that's B-A-S-H-E. And Greg Masters, MPH, and that's Greg with two Gs. And do remember to tag your tweets with hashtag Health Unabashed. Until next time, stay unapologetically passionate about improving health.